part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Open your Bibles from Malachi chapter 2, the very last verse, and then chapter 3. And thank you, ladies and Q, for leading us this morning. Ricky has been sick, and so this, I didn't know if you just had no voice or if you had Barry White voice. You know, Barry White. Barry White. That would have been good, too. And, um, but, but thanks, uh, everybody for filling in. I do kind of sense, now again, preachers can be really wrong on this, but we can sense sometimes when there's an excitement in the crowd, and we can sense when there's, okay, I'm here. <laughs> this seems to be one of those mornings when, Okay, I'm here. I don't know if it's the rain. I don't know if you didn't get enough sleep last night or what. And I hope I'm wrong on that. And maybe we can, as we get into God's word, we can do something about that this morning. But uh, this morning, that, that God would just show us what he does by this refining fire. Now, in your Bibles, you're going to have chapters and verses. And for the most part, 99.9% of the time, they are just straight on. How, you know, that wasn't part of God's original writing. Man came back, trusted man, scholarly man, faithful man came back and said, you know, this would be, you know, let's break this up into four chapters and here's some verses and here's kind of where a natural break would be. And um, most of the time, 99.99% of the time, they get that spot on. Every once in a while we come upon a passage where they kind of probably missed it a little bit. And this is one of those occurrences. If you know, if you remember last week we were in Malachi chapter 2 And we didn't quite finish all the way. There's actually one more verse, verse 17. And that's where we're going to begin this morning because that's really the beginning of the thought process that is going on here. So we'll be in Malachi chapter 2, verse 17, up to verse 6 of chapter 3. And um, a couple weeks ago, uh, I was talking with a couple of people afterwards. Uh, I made this statement that sometimes God in his mercy and grace allows you to go through suffering. And that really seems kind of opposite. You know, if he is a God of grace and mercy, then why doesn't he kind of deliver us out of our suffering? Well, this morning we kind of, the the text gives attention to that. Because I firmly believe that there are times that God allows us to go through painful things and painful times in our lives, not because he's mad at us, Not that he's trying to punish us, because I truly do not believe that God ever punishes the Christian. I think Christ took the full punishment. Does he discipline us? Yes, because he's a good father. And let's face it, when you're being disciplined, it can feel like punishment sometimes without the untrained mind. And so we talked a couple weeks ago, and we're going to see it again here, that sometimes even as parents, when we're doing the most correct, the most loving, the most mature thing for our children, we can still get this kind of ideal of rebellion or this response, you hate me. And we've all been, if you're a parent, you've been there before. You won't let me go to that party? What do you just hate me? My life is over. I get that because I was 13 or 14 or 15 or 11 or 17 or 33. And I got that, that, you know, sometimes it feels like when you're not getting your way, that actually whoever is in authority over you, that they just don't want you to have pleasantry in life. And we revisit that this morning, 
not because I don't have something new to say, but because the text brings it up again. We can't get off these people, these people of God, they're the Jewish people, and yet they're not acting like the people of God. And, and in my conversation with somebody uh, a couple of weeks ago when this first came up in the text, I was trying to explain to them afterwards that sometimes the most loving thing is when God allows us to fall and skin our knees. Does that make sense to you? Of how that doesn't seem like it's loving because we get up from that fall and guess what we have? Skin knees and there's blood and it hurts and it stings. And yet, in the wisdom of God, in the mercy of God, and I believe in the grace of God, sometimes he allows that in our lives for us even to hit rock bottom so that we see as we look up from what seems to be the very lowest part of our life that we have only one hope, and he is Christ Jesus, and that that God is this hope. What a wonderful conclusion to draw that oftentimes if I'm just dealing with my own stuff in life, I don't always draw that conclusion, do you? If you you do, you're much more saintly than I. That when you're going through difficult times, that you just always draw this conclusion that God is good, that he's always looking out for you. No, sometimes I just think that God, this is going to sound very sacrilegious. And if a lightning bolt comes down, (laughs) you know, Brian, as one of the elders, you and Andy, y'all, Go on with the rest of the service, okay? But have you really honestly ever thought, God, do you know what you're doing? I mean, I know that is like the most awkward thing to say out loud. But in our fallenness, guys, in our sinfulness, in our limited sight, there are times that God allows things in our life or we got into something and God doesn't just kind of come to the rescue instantly that we're going, God, do you know what you're doing? And that could be a moment of frustration. It could be our emotion. It could be a lot of different things. But let me settle the whole sermon right now. God does know what he's doing. He really does. Now, if we can just kind of catch up and get a glimpse of that, if we can put our faith and trust in that, even though we don't understand it. In life group this morning, we were looking through Ecclesiastes and Solomon, the wisest guy that's in that, of, of that time, He really painted a perspective that there's going to be times as we go through the seasons of life that we don't know what God is doing. We just know this, that God is going to make everything beautiful in its time. And that time may be eternity because that's the same verse that it says that he set into the hearts of man, eternity. Without eternity, we don't have a proper perspective of this world. We can never look at the 20, 40, 60, 80, 100 years that God may give us on this earth without the light of eternity or we would come to the same conclusion that Solomon did. Meaningless, meaningless. It's like the chasing of the wind. No, it's eternity that puts everything in perspective. And that will be a key as we open up God's word this morning. See, one of the things that we just expect out of this God that we see in the Bible is that he is a rescuer and he is. But we want that rescuer to be kind of at our bed. That when we get in trouble in life, even if we caused our own trouble, even if it's our own choices that got us in, backed into the corner, we kind of want God to be like that, the old Westerners. I love old Westerners. And sometimes, you know, you'd get into where there's this desperate situation and this lady or this guy and maybe the, 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 the bad people have come and uh, they need to be rescued. And then you hear the Calvary. 
And so you hear those hoofbeats, you know, coming, and all of a sudden there's horses, and you hear the trumpet, you know, they're blowing that bugle, and all of a sudden you see the flags, they come around the corner, and they're there to save the day. In a way, don't we want that to be God every time that we're in trouble? God, I know I'm the one that backed myself into this corner. I'm no, I know that I'm just getting kind of the, the fruit of what I did. But God, will you come rescue me? God is the rescuer. And ultimately, he did this rescue through Jesus Christ. But there's going to be times that God allows you to remain in the fire, and he doesn't rescue you at your bidding. Now, you can agree with God on that. You're, you're free to disagree with God on that. But I would think that out of your mind and out of the wisdom of God, I'm going to side with the wisdom of God, that he makes the right choice. And except for one thing, one asterisk, when it's my life. We talked a lot about that this morning, how easy it is to give advice, how hard it is to live advice. Have you found that tension in your life? And that's what's going on here as we open up to Malachi. We see these rebellious people. God lovingly confronts them in their sin. And all they can do is kind of point back to God and say, how have we done this? Why, you know, God, why are you picking on us? And what we see from Malachi, I want to remind you that one of the key verses in all of Malachi was right there in chapter 1, verse 2, when before any of the indictments that God would bring, that he proclaimed his love for these people. Malachi chapter 1, verse 2. I have loved you, said the Lord. And we said that that Hebrew word there, I have loved you, means I have loved you, I do love you, and I will love you. I've made covenant with you, and I'm going to keep my covenant. But look at the balance of that verse. I have loved you, says the Lord. And what do they say? Have you loved us? And it begins the series of seven indictments uh, that God brings, and, and they're all real indictments, and yet every time they ask a question back to God. Now, how, how have we done that, or how have you done that? And they just don't admit, they don't fess up, to what's going on. There's probably no greater challenge in our minds and our hearts when we're loving someone and doing something for their ultimate good and yet they accuse us of being unloving. Again, until you've had the pain of a child looking up and honestly, in, in their emotions of that moment, you hate me. You want my life to be over. There is no joy in that. And yet... Look what happens here in verse 17. Malachi chapter 2, verse 17. You have wearied the Lord with your words. But you say, how have we wearied him? By saying everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? This verse is so wrong, not, not God's word is perfect, but this word contains so many wrong thoughts. It's almost impossible to cover this morning. The Bible says, Malachi says, you have wearied God. Now, remember that the Bible says, it makes this other comment about God, Isaiah forty twenty eight. Now look, what, what does that say? In fact, Ryan, will you just read that out loud this morning? Of yours, 
How many of y'all believe that about God? Oh, we believe that. And yet, here, what's the accusation against the Jewish people? Malachi says, you have wearied God. Now, I, I don't think that there's, you know, the Bible's wrong in this sense. I think that if we read everything in context, we know where Malachi's coming. That this is a God who is ever patient and ever kind, and he does not weary in his strength. He doesn't have good days and bad days. He doesn't have those days when God says, man, I feel like God today. You know what God says every day? I feel like God today. Because he never changes. He's always this strength. And yet what we find here is Malachi uses this expression, you have wearied God. This weariless God, you have wearied him. Why? How have we done that with your words? What were the words? This accusation that somehow God was not bringing justice to things that needed attention. In other words, they saw evil prospering. Just as David did, other new, Old and New Testament writers. And it always bothers us when we see evil prospering. Does it bother you? Yeah. That somehow we're going, God, I'm sure glad you got me down here on earth. Because there's some evil prospering over here. And I'm not so sure that you're aware of it. But I'm on the job. And I just want you to know, Pastor Bobby's going to make sure that you're aware that these people are evil and yet you have not brought justice to them. Now, what makes this so ridiculous is, number one, we know that God knows all things. But the very people that were rebellious against God, if God wanted to bring justice to anybody, he could have started right there with these people. That's what's so sad about this is that they didn't see their own sinfulness, their own rebellion. What they saw was the rebellion of everybody else. And they're going, God, are you going to take care of this? And their accusation against God, where is the God of justice? Let that question sink in. There's a lot of things, guys. There's a lot of, you can say, Bobby, you don't really preach all that well. You can say, you're really not that pretty. And, you know, you can say, you don't have a lot of hair. You, you can, Bobby, you're not skinny. You're kind of, you, there's a lot of things. But, you know, there's certain things if you said, Bobby, here's, you know, this accusation against you. It, I wouldn't just blow it off. It would be so deeply offensive because that's the one thing that you're going, okay, I may not be a lot of things. I can't sing. I can't do this. But I do love Jesus, you know, and so I can take that real personal. Do you think God takes his sense of justice personally? Do you think that when people ask, God, are you just? That somehow God just shakes that off and goes, well, you know, that's just your opinion. Or do you think this just God this loving God that we have, who is perfect in every way, every element of him is perfection, that he takes his justice very personally. Well, that's what we see throughout Malachi. He says, you've, you've accused my name. He said, that's how personal it is. And we see it here. And it's just made him weary. Look how God responds. Chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger, and then he will prepare the way before me. 
And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord. God said he's going to send a messenger. And he, the Lord, will come. They ask for justice. God, have you changed your mind on justice? And in a way, you can begin to see that God opens this this course and he begins to say, oh, you want justice? I can bring justice. And what we see in these opening verses of chapter 3 is the promise that John the Baptist one day would come about 400 years later and that he would prepare a way for who? For Jesus, the Messiah. And all this was prophecy and he said, this day is coming. You want justice? You want judgment? There's a day of judgment coming. I don't know what kind of house you grew up in, but uh, my mom usually took care of a lot of business uh, in the household. Um, when there was, uh, my sister and I were not acting correctly. But every once in a while, the, the uh, sin was so deep, um, the debt was so much, that she would use those immortal words. You just wait until your father comes home. And the fear and trembling would begin. Because mom had one way of doing justice. Mom was kind of, you know, she'd kind of get emotional and all this. You've let me down. And it was always the heartstrings, you know. Dad was more of old school. This is how we fight rebellion. We train it. (laughs) And so you didn't want dad to come home. I mean, can you imagine being an 11-year-old kid? I just hope dad gets lost this afternoon. (laughs) And somehow he never makes it home because you didn't want justice to come. They said, God, are you not just anymore? Have you given up on justice? Are you not a just God? Because we see people prospering and they're really kind of evil people. And it's right after that question that he gives them the promise that John the Baptist is going to bring a message, and it's a message of repentance. You turn from your sin, and that he's going to pave the way for the Messiah to come. Look at verse 2. These are scary words, guys. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? He's like a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap. First thing he asks, who can stand up to this kind of judgment? Who can pass the test that you are approved of uh, by God? Who can pass that test? Nobody. Look at Psalms 130, verse 3. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities. In other words, if, if you count sin, O Lord, who could stand? How many of you agree with that? So, so this is the thing. See, we play this human game. Well, I'm not the greatest person in the world, but at least I'm not... You know, like him or her. And so we play this game where we just kind of, you know, at least we feel a little bit better because we know that we're not Billy Graham. But somehow we always bring Adolf Hitler into the thing. We're not Hitler either. And so somewhere in this, you know, and we're hoping that God grades on the curve. I'm being very serious here, guys, that we really do kind of have that mentality that we kind of buy somehow that we have peace with God, not because... We're perfect, but we're just not as bad as other people. And we're kind of in this, you know, tangent between the worst person in the world that we can think of and maybe one of the better people that we can think of. 
And God right here and in other places in the Word, He makes it very, very clear. He said, look, if I count it sin, I just looked at man and his sinfulness, He said, who could stand? And the answer is obvious. Nobody. Nobody has been perfect. All fall short of the glory of God. Nobody's holy like God. So if we want justice, what a, what a bad thing to ask for. And what a bad thing to accuse God that he's not carrying out, that he's not being a just God. They've brought that accusation now upon themselves. But look what happens, you know, in this incredible promise of judgment, where he says, look, one day this judgment is coming and who can stand up to it? God says that he's coming like a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap. We're going to talk a lot about that as we finish out. A refiner's process, uh, a refiner's fire, fire is the process of taking precious metals and getting the bad out and leaving the good. And uh, I've, I've never been able to actually watch this in process, but if you have gold or if you have silver, you know, when it comes out of the ground, it has a lot of impurities. It has a lot of other things that are part of it. And what a jeweler or what a craftsman will do, uh, he'll take this refining fire and he will bring it up in temperature, up in temperature, up in temperature. And every time it comes up in temperature and he goes to the next level, what we call dross or the infirmities or the, the bad stuff comes out and he scoops that off. And what you're left with is a pure and pure substance of what remains. For example, in that next um, slide, if you have, oh, I don't think that it goes all the way down to the bottom. If um, I didn't get it all on here, but 24 karat gold is 99.99% or 95% pure. If you have something that's 8 karat gold, then the hallmark, the, the measuring point, is it has to be 33.3% gold. A lot of your wedding rings or something that may may not be 24 karat gold because that's really soft. So they put alloys, they put other things in there to kind of harden it up. Still gold, but it's not pure gold. Does that make sense? When it comes to the purity that God demands, where on this chart do you think is a good place to land? What if you say, look, you know, I'm not Billy Graham, but I'm sure not Adolf Hitler. You know, I'm about 10 karat gold. You know, basically, I'm about 41.7% pure. What does God in his holiness say to that, folks? I'm I'm holy God. I need to be 100% pure. Oh, God, there is no one 100% pure. And he said, you're exactly right. And so my answer for you, my answer for you, is I will send one who is 100% pure. Not 99.95% pure. I will send one that is 100% pure so that you will have someone that can pay for your sins and your impurities. And that's what he has done through Jesus Christ. Now when it comes to this, he calls it the refiner's fire. And one thing that we know about a refiner's fire is that the person doing this is a craftsman. A craftsman, when they do something, they do it with excellence. They do it with a training. And they do it with two things that are always evident. One, they do it with great purpose, 
and they do it with great care. You get a do-it-yourself, uh, weekend do-it-yourselfer like me, and you go back to one of my projects, Ricky, and you're going to be able to, you would be able to find fault after fault after fault after fault. You know, I'm just, hey, duct tape, you know, and trying to fix it with that, okay? But a craftsman, a craftsman will assess the problem and then with great purpose, planning, and with great care, will start to execute that plan. This refiner of gold, God, he's a craftsman at refining and working out the impurities of your life and my life. And he has purpose in that, and he does it with great care. Look at verse 3. Talking about Christ and, and, and this promise that the Christ, this Messiah is going to come. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Now, what was one of the things that the Levites, the priests, were not doing back in chapter 1 and chapter 2? Yeah. They were allowing any kind of sacrifice. They were not upholding the law of God. They were rebellious. They were sinful. We'll just call that sinful. Do you see the hope here? He said, I'm bringing about a Messiah. And that Messiah is going to, notice that he says he's going to sit. You know why? Because it's not just kind of like a little, this little process. Sometimes to refine gold, to get it down to 24 karat gold. Seven times they have to heat it up. And each time heat it up a little bit more. And a little bit more of the impurities. A little bit more of the dross comes off. And they're not satisfied until something happens, especially with silver. If you're a silversmith, you know that it's reached this point that you want it when you can do something. Anybody know what that is? You can see your reflection of your face. In that, in other words, it's reflecting the truity. It's pure enough now that you can see this reflection. And I, here, here's the thing, guys. God loves you enough. God loves you enough that He will allow you to be in the refining process until He can see His face. Until there's Christ likeness. This is the goal. Romans eight twenty nine. That more and more we're in the image of Christ. We're not Christ, but He wants us to be Christ like. Why? Because we're the followers of Christ. And there will be times that by God's grace that he will allow you with skin knees to go on and skin your elbows and that because he's mad at you, because he's punishing you? No, because he's refining you so that more and more and more you reflect Christ's likeness. And any parent knows that that comes not because you just want, you know, you can always sell out and have the happy child right now. I want my tablet. I want the candy. I want to do things my way. One of the toughest parts of parenting is actually having the maturity and then the follow through to say, no, this is not what is best. And even though you are going to scream and cry, rebel, and all these things for the next five minutes, five hours, maybe five days, I'm not going to release my responsibility of parenting you well with the price of just you being happy. I have a plan, and that plan has purpose. Does that make sense? And as good as you, mommy, and you, daddy, 
Oh, do we have a father in heaven? Oh, do we have a daddy in heaven who has a plan and a purpose? And if it means remaining in that refining fire, but I want my tablet, but I want the candy, but I want... No, I, I'll let you go down there with skin knees because I don't want you happy for the moment. I want you joyful for eternity. Fuller soap, what is that? It's a soap that uh, really uh, you almost, if you used it, you had to be very careful because it could burn the skin. It's powerful. It's bleach, kind of this this uh, very toxic, and, and yet it produces a white of whites. It gets stains out. Now, when you use something like a fuller soap, or if you use bleach at home, is your purpose to destroy the piece of clothing or to get the stain out of the clothing? But if you were the clothing, do you think that you would sometimes feel, oh, that's bleach. (laughs) That kind of bites a little bit. And so there's times in our lives that he uses the fuller soap on us, guys, that he uses bleach on us. But his purpose is not to destroy us. His purpose is to get the stains out. If that means kind of staying in the fire for another day, another week, another month, if it means staying in the wash a little bit more. Now, again, theologically, these, these are symbols, okay? When Christ did it, he did it once for all. Folks, let's not get bad theology here. But look at the illustration that he's given. Look at verse 4. He gives the, the end result. Let me set this up a little bit. People of God scoff, accuse God of not being just. They minimize their own unrighteousness by saying that God is the unjust one. He is quick to tell them that a day of judgment is coming. He also reminds them that no one on their own can stand in the face of that judgment, that he is sending one out who will refine them like gold. And here's the end result. Verse 4, Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem, that's just the Jewish people, okay, will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in the former years. Get this, guys. They're in rebellion. They're not in right standing with the holy God because of their sinfulness. God sends one to refine them, to take the stain out. And now what does he say? You're useful. You're back to where you were. In this sense, you can do the job that I called you to do. They didn't become righteous. They were made righteous. The Christian life is not about you becoming righteous. It's about that you were made righteous through the work of Christ. Now out of that, out of that refiner's fire, more and more we should look like Christ. And so from outwards appearance, if you just looked at me, I can look at Christ and say, man, man, you're looking more and more righteous. But do not ever believe that the point of your life was to become more and more and more righteous on your own. Please understand that there was a point in time that Christ made you righteous. Took all of your sin. Placed, God took all of your sin. Placed it on Christ. Took all of his rightness and imputed, put that on you. It's the most beautiful thing in all the Bible. 
And out of that, now we live to be righteous people. But never confuse the two. Does that make sense? Verse 5, and then we'll start to close. Start to close is what pastors say when there's still 30 more minutes. Okay. Then I will draw, verse 5, then I will draw near to you in judgment, and I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, against um, the widower and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner, and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. And so he goes through this list and he says, okay, justice is coming one day. And we would, here's what we do in our humanity. We look at that list and go, okay, I didn't do that one. I didn't do that one. Oh, darn, I did that third one. What does he mean that justice has come to these people? One day justice will come to all sin. To all sin. Your sin and my sin. Here's the difference. If you placed your faith and your trust in Christ in Christ alone. That day that I stand before this judgment of sin, I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know if Christ himself will stand and say, I've already paid that debt. But Christ didn't cover up our sin. He paid for our debt and took it away. He redeemed us back from where we were and bought us with his righteousness, with his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Let me kind of sum this up. God says, you want justice? Oh, one day justice is coming. And on that day that justice is coming, please grasp this. I do not deserve heaven any more than Adolf Hitler, since that's kind of the epitome of evil that we can often refer to. Well, then how can that be just? Because Christ died for me. And justice will be done to sin. All of God's wrath placed on his son, Jesus Christ, taking that wrath from me so that one day when I face this God of judgment, I don't have to sit there and watch that movie of my life and say, guilty is charged. That I can sit there and go, before I even get words out of my mouth, that Christ says, I paid for that. And justice is that I get to spend eternity with the holy God. Do you grasp that? For those who have not trusted Christ, they still get justice. But they will spend eternity away. Because God didn't love them? No, because they did not trust Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. The minute that we think that we're a better people because we're Christians, we haven't read the scripture really carefully. And we really don't have a grasp of the gospel. The only difference between those that know Christ and those that do not know Christ is God's grace and then that we've, we've come in the sinners that we are and we have just said, thank you God for giving us the sacrifice. We are not better. We're not more special in, in, in the sense of that somehow we've done things for God's approval. Verse 6. Hang on to this verse this week. For I, the Lord, 
do not change. Therefore, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Now, why is he saying that? I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O nation of Israel, you children of Jacob, are not consumed. He said, man, I keep my covenant even when you don't keep your covenant. You haven't earned it. You don't deserve it. What you deserve is this same justice that you're calling out for, for me to be just. I, I will be just but I'm a, because I love you and I keep my covenants. I'm making provision for you. Guys, right now you may be in a fire and you go, okay, Bobby, I'm already a, I'm already a, a Christian. Why, guys, why does God kind of keep me in the refiner's fire. Why am I still, do I feel the flames just kind of looking up at my, my life right now and just tragedy after tragedy, trial after trial? I'm not smart enough to answer that. I don't know if that's, you know, what all God is doing. I just know this, that he loves you enough and he has enough grace that there's times that he's not going to come to the rescue at that moment because there's still something to be learned there. And, and, I don't understand all that complexity, but I know that he does. Job, our poster boy of suffering suffering in the Bible. I mean, if you always want the ultimate, who's the ultimate sufferer kind of on a human scale? Well, Job. You know what? Here's what Job said. Job, chapter 23, verse 1. Then Job answered and said, Today also my complaint is bitter, My hand is heavy. His friends were coming against him. And he said, Today also my complaint is bitter. My hand is heavy on account of my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to his seat. And he goes, God, I'm I'm searching for you. And you're not there. You don't seem to be there for me, God. Verse 8, Behold, I go forward, but he's not there. And backward, but I do not perceive him. On the left hand, uh, when he is working, I do not behold him. And he turns to the right hand, I don't see him. I'm looking everywhere. God, I'm in this misery. This suffering is overwhelming. And I cry out to you, and I want to hear hoofbeats, and I want to see a flag, and I want to see the cavalry come around the corner, and I don't find you, God. Verse 10. But he knows the way that I take, and when he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. poster boy of suffering cannot grasp all that God is doing but he grasps one thing God when I come out of this you're refining because you refine gold and you take those sorry elements and you, and you make it gold and you know 24 karat gold I don't say this to minimize any pain that you're going through Carly and I right now we're kind of navigating. We've got two grandchildren. Life's pretty good for us. I mean, we we have, I'll, if you want to know, I'll share my sorrows, but uh, not today. But I mean, life's pretty good. And so when you preach this, you realize that, that as you're preaching that there's some people that they're in the midst of the fire and they're waiting for the Calvary and they have prayed for the Calvary to come around the corner and they just want to hear hoofbeats and see a flag and hear a bugle. And my heart goes out to you. And and here's my prayer for you. 
that if God is keeping you in the fire for the moment, and you're like Job, and you say, I looked to the left, and I couldn't find him. I looked to the right, and I couldn't find him. I looked back behind me, I couldn't find him. I pray that he would give you the ability to know that he's refining you like the purest of gold. Why? Because he's mad at you. No, because he loves you. He's a craftsman that has purpose in what he's doing. And he carries out that plan to his perfection. So I pray that you'd have patience. I pray that you that he'd build up faith. Favorite prayer in the Bible, and then we close. That father in the Bible that Jesus comes to. Do you believe? And remember the most profound prayer, one of the most profound prayers in the Bible? I believe. Help my unbelief. Is that where you are this morning? I believe. That's right. I, I believe. God, will you help my unbelief? Because right now I'm kind of scared. Right now I'm kind of fearful. Right now I'm overwhelmed. Right now all I can feel is the flames licking up. And, and it just seems like the, the right when I'm going to come out and maybe I'm going to be rescued, that the flames get hotter and hotter. I believe. God, help my unbelief. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you. Father, in no way do we ever want to simplify the harshness of trials and fires in our lives. But Father, will you help us in some human way to understand the majesty that you do not allow this just because somehow, Father, you just kind of playing with us? But Father, that if you do allow your children to go through the fire, it is for our good and your father trying to create maturity, sanctifying us. And father, we may not like it when the heat goes up, but Father, that day that we can look down and see your reflection, Father, then it will make all sense. Until then, Father, we believe. Help our unbelief. Give us faith, Father. Give us strength. Father, give us Jesus. For we pray this in the power of his name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.